All right, this one's called License to Dive. Taco gentrification comes to Chicago's West Loop. The days of the weed-addled HGH engorged Van Dyke sporter moonlighting as a portal sentry and distracted scanner for teen scofflaws at the local late-night vomitorium is gone. I don't know how the kids get fake driver's licenses anymore. State IDs have holograms, invisible inks, and thermal seals. Production of counterfeits is now basically the domain of the dark web. Even if you procure one, the barcode on that fake ID is more likely to be encoded with the My Sweet Satan portion of Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven than to be legit. But bars are big biz, and even those with the most spotless shots have DRAM insurance premiums that require Scrooge McDuck's wing pulls of gold. That's why states and taverns have invested in facial recognition technology that not only will boot your Logan Paul-loving ass out the door, but it might alert the popo that you need to be detained because you're a serial croc shoplifter. Now, it's interesting that governments have spent beautiful mind levels of engineering resources to prevent underage alcohol consumption while shrugging as toddlers get shot. But we're not here today to bury DeSantis. Speaking of which, this burning man of a lib on fire can, for the first time, see the appeal of the red hat. Because in the 1990s, while the Oval Office was still the domain of an alleged rapist, fake IDs, at least in that time, were indeed great. All you needed was a thermal printer and a lamination machine, and in my case, a 16-year-old who we'll call Marvis. Marvis was an ID forgery artist and also operated the largest lawn care business in southeastern Michigan. Both of these operations were solely created to pay for Marvis's fetish for audiophile stereo systems only Hollywood moguls and successful coke dealers could afford. If the cobbler's kids have no shoes, Marvis's friends had no counterfeit cards to con the credulous. His was a strictly cash business and I had little. I didn't need one anyway because Marvis had a third job in pizza making, an occupation he also hooked me up with. I met a lot of stoners at the pizza shop who taught me about shit I still don't understand. Truffaut and Fellini and Pink Floyd. And a lot of stuff I still do, like Monty Python and Robert Plant. I also met some of Shelby Township, Michigan's finest cops who exchanged free pizza for their personal services. Because Shelby was white bread burgeoning Richville, these particular piggies spent most of their work days and evenings confiscating liquor from underage teens. When they finished those shifts, they were turned out by the dumpsters behind our pizzeria. They popped open the trunks on their pinstriped Impalas. They flipped open coolers full of confiscated cerveza. They sat on the tailgates of shiny El Caminos as well and welcomed us pizza pirates, many of whom who were, oh my god, underage, to partake in a regular weekly shitty lager palooza. Moving to college, I had Strickland's in Ann Arbor, where a sweet note from my grandmother was all I needed to catch a sixer of Zima. Imagine the cashier's surprise when they finally tightened things up by our senior year and my buddy Mike, a three-year regular at the market, got carded for the first time, only to reveal that he'd turned 21 three months prior. Because we had all the Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill from Strickland's we could handle, we also had the yen for Mexi Melts at midnight that only the Combo Taco Bell 7-Eleven Year East Quad could satiate. Suburban kids that we were, fire sauce coursed through our veins. My enthusiasm aside, a lot of people in the food-loving community get mad at Taco Bell for misrepresenting Mexican culinary traditions. And while it's true, Glenn Bell lifted the idea for his empire from the Mexican-owned Meat La Cafe, even the most sunburned of red staters know Taco Bell ain't the real deal. That's because the thing you can count on, even in a town where government-subsidized crop rearing is the primary industry, is that a mom-and-pop-owned Mexican restaurant will exist. Ronda-persistent corn doesn't pick itself. 
And while the white farmers will pretend to hate their brown compatriots during the November elections and all throughout the good Christian Christmas season, they love cheap labor during the harvest months. That ain't easy work, and so a family or two always breaks off and establishes a chimichanga concern by the local refilling station to establish their American dream. Now, maybe this food isn't totally real either, but there is often a secret menu for the migrants in town and usually at least one mole poblano chicken on offer for the discerning Miller Genuine draft drinking variety of redneck. Even in a hamlet like this, that Taco Bell is ruining Americans' perception of true Mexican cuisine is a bit of a straw man. But that is the straw man that a burgeoning chain like Tacombe, founded by a Cornell University-educated French-Mexican named Dario Wolos, is beating the soy protein out of with a mission to bring more attention to Mexican regional foods. Wolos imagined Tacombe as part of a thesis during his Ivy League Caesar salad days. He eventually went full Jack Dorsey and executed the actual thing like a hippie pipe dream with a dot-com-era worthy origin story. You see, Tacombe was launched in the back of a broken-down converted VW bus in a super quaint fishing village known for its deep commitment to pre-Columbian Mexican fare that you've probably never even heard of, called Playa del Carmen. Obviously, you've heard of it. Tacombe's expansion is now also notably backed by Danny Meyer's Enlightened Hospitality Investment Group. Meyer has moolah from the Shake Shack not because he mined the authenticity of McDonald's, but rather because he reimagined and innovated beyond the fast food giant shortcomings. Wallace is counting on a similar strategy and also throwing the promotion of authenticity into the equation for Tacombe's growth. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard native New Yorkers complain that Manhattan's taco culture just ain't that great. So that Tacombe first established a foothold there makes some kind of sense. But in a town like Chicago, with hundreds, maybe thousands of taquerias, I mean, if you count the groceries and carnicerias, bootleg backyard situations and street casks, I mean, real Mexican authenticity already oozes from every pozole parlor in Pilsen. And yet, Tacombe's story is also one of capitalism and the pursuit of the almighty dollar. If it weren't, Wolves would still be working on his tan on top of the microbus in Playa. And money we know is often like a shadow. It creeps over everything, including Chicago's West Loop, but it has no consciousness. West Loop's restaurant row, once anchored by Perez Mexican Restaurant and its excellent chorizo burrito, is now newly glazed with a sheen of corporatization. Why not slip in an extra couple of roll-top garage doors to vend some QSR meat CPG augmented tacos al pastor? Because I'm lucky enough to have some financial resources. I have been to Playa in Los Cabos and a lot of places where they write eat, pray, and tacos, Romana clefts. I mean, hot girl IG accounts these days. I try to compensate for indulging in the Disney-esque trappings of the Mayan Riviera by leaving the all-inclusive womb on each trip and venturing out to the actual neighboring villages. Because while I like swimming, I love food and I love people and I love culture more. I don't want Cisco tacos from the Marriott. I need the bubbling carnitas, the wobbly carne, from the mustachioed men who are so gracious that they tolerate my butchery of their beautiful language with my clumsy high school learned churrosy chocolate spanglish. Tacombe, with its folding chairs, hand-painted wash pastel-colored signs, bubbling agua fresca machines, and general cinder block aesthetic certainly nails the right visuals. In other ways, though, Tacombe is like Wicker Park's big star without the killer patty. To compensate, and ostensibly also to trump at their latest capital raise through HVAC, they've decided to open the front windows like gaping money-burning maws to air-condition the sidewalks on the hottest day in Chicago in a decade. This would be okay, but the positive pressure of the conditioned air is no match for the oppression of fetid stank from the West Loop's alley dumpsters. 
This is not the positively perfect pork perfume. It's tendrils curling in my brain right now that I recall from the carnitas at Los Michoacanos, nor the nutty perfume of Enrique Olvera's Mole and Los Cabos. Scrutinizing more, I realized Tacombi West Loop is ultimately more like Vegas, more like a Vegas-like set piece. The woman who takes my order is not a sun-dried abuela, but a Glamazonia future Ford model. The red folding chairs in the dining room are not well-worn, but lacquered and shiny like Dorothy slippers, ready more for the butt of a ringside boxing commentator than the hungry masses. The cooks here look exhausted. An expediter ambles around between orders, looking dead-eyed at walls. The whole thing feels like a clock watcher's convention. Now there is authenticity at Tacombe. The barilla is shredded velvet, and the accompanying consomme works as a killer chili spike chaser once the taco has disappeared. Tacombe's fish tacos feature cod that flakes like sheets of mica coated in airy tempura. They are riddled with a piquant confetti of pico de gallo. The esquites run over with creamy marita chile, spiked mayo, and salty cotija cheese crumble. The tortillas at Tacombe are pliant, full of corn perfume. Not as good as, say, the fresh kamal-girdled beauties from Ruby's on 18th or the ones from Taqueria Chingon, but better than a lot of the ubiquitous dry ones often slung by local tortillerias. The lack of a transcendent breakfast taco in Chicago is one area Tacombe could add value, but the egg here is a little snotty. The pastor orange with adobo, but not caramelized, crisply, or seasoned well. Because of this, and because the pastor lack is still in my mouth, I immediately want to drive down to Asian Cuisine Express for what Taco Nick Kindlesperger, the Chicago Tribune critic, has dubbed one of the best El Pastor tacos in the city. Unfortunately, they're closed on Wednesdays, and sadly, sometimes random Thursdays, too. My friend Dave and I stood outside the darkened restaurant during their advertised open hours recently. Because Dave and I are keenly aware we're in competition for white middle-aged dad in Chicago, by the way, I win. We thought we assumed maybe we just stupidly gringoed up to this door at the wrong time. But while we regrouped our taco ambitions, at least 10 other people ambled up to the door, grabbed the handle, and found it pushing back with an iron lock grip like Stallone and over the top. We peeked in the windows and saw a dude in the kitchen with headphones. Dave got his attention. The guy shook his head and then rolled his arms in some kind of Bee Gees disco pantomime we didn't understand. This was one point for Tacombe, which is, I'm positive they will always be open when they say they will. We reformed our carne asada convention on Cermak, pausing to regard the Selena shrine painted on the brick wall of Carnitheria Maribel. We headed toward the back of the corner grocer, a stainless steel cauldron beckoned. It was purpose-built for carnitas, but also big enough for Winston Wolfe of Pulp Fiction to dissolve a dead man in with sulfuric acid. We also found the pastor we came for, griddled, crisp, and fresh El Milagro shells, as well as cumin-riddled chorizo pack gorditas. The lomo, though, you will have FOMO at every subsequent meal you eat once you taste this caramelized, well-salted loin. Sucking down horchata, bathing in conversation with Dave, surrounded by Pope Francis candles and hot sauce bottles, watching mail carriers and rib tank top and rolled waistband sweatpants clad moms roll in for their daily fix, I realized that this was the kind of authenticity I want. Though I appreciate what Tacombe is doing, especially with their community support initiatives, the Chicago kitchen is not yet cooking with the kind of consistency and precision that made Shake Shack a star. Tacombe is more of an authenticity for towing the water open-minded former suburbanites forced to live in the West Loop for commuting reasons because McDonald's moved their headquarters here from Oakbrook. Tacombe, like a fake driver's license, might look good, but for now, brings me to a place I probably shouldn't be. Tacombe is located at 126 North Peoria in Chicago. 
Carnicieria Mirabelle is located at 1801 West Cermak in Chicago.